this recording, there's going to be some new ones probably added to that. Uh, just missions outreaches, and so um, you're actually actively involved in supporting some actual churches in Brazil. And so I want to encourage you to pray for them. They send their love. Uh, they are very grateful for all that you do so that they can minister. Um, we are starting a new book on Wednesday night. I want to encourage you, if you're uh, coming to church once a week, uh, I'm just going to tell you, I, I don't know how anybody really manages to do that and gathering together with the body of Christ just once a week. Uh, some people, because of their schedule, I understand. But I want to really encourage you, that midweek break away from the things of the world and to the things of the Lord, uh, I, I believe is a recipe for success in your walk with the Lord. And so I want to really encourage you. We're beginning the book of Hebrews uh, this coming Wednesday night. A very exciting book because it was written principally to the most religious people on earth. And, and as we're going to see today, our world is full of religion. It's just not full of relationship. And so we're going to be starting the book of Hebrews. Um, please do set aside some time uh, to come and, and minister uh, to one another, spend time in the Word, to fellowship and worship together on that midweek study. So you turn your attention now to the Word of God, to Second Timothy chapter 3, just the first five verses this morning. I will tell you that I had to resist the temptation of doing a ten-part series with these five verses. Um, they, they are pretty much... As, as you look at them, and as we'll see this morning, and the reason I didn't do that is you'd all be depressed and probably stop coming to church after about the first of the second or the second part of the series. So uh, I really want to try and get through these particular uh, five verses this morning, though we could spend a lot more time on them. So we'll highlight a couple of these things. But let me say this to you. The last days began at the life of Christ. So when we talk about the last days, this is nothing new from that perspective. The last days began at the age of grace and its beginning. And so we have been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. The difference is we are closer to the end of those last days than we have ever been. And the reason we know that is this list, along with a lot of others, because many of these things are relatively new developments. They have existed in some degree and to some uh, specifics for quite some time, but they have gotten worse over periods of decades and centuries and millennia, and we now find ourselves at a time when we can actually look at these things and go, how much worse can it get? How much longer will the Lord tarry? Because these things, our passage tells us that by knowing this, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Paul begins to exhort Timothy to remind him that though they began then, there is an end to the age of grace. Family of God, that should excite you. That should also cause some fear, some trepidation, some grave concern. It should cause action to occur in your life for the cause of the gospel. Uh, when we think about the, the end of the age of grace, that means there will be no time left for people to become saved. It, it means that God will be done dealing with mankind's sin 
by grace, and he will turn his attention unto the judgment of the wicked. Now, when I think of that, I, I have to confess, I say, Lord, delay your coming just a while longer. In, in, that, in that place, I'm not anxious for the Lord to return today, because billions would perish. But are we close? Yeah, we are. And we're getting closer. And that should stir us to action. And so I pray as we look at these five verses this morning, verses 1 through 5, that we'll be stirred up unto good works, encouraged in our faith, and get busy. For we don't know when the day will come, when the Son of Man calls home His church and begins to wind down that very last moment of the age of grace. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we gather together this day, Lord, just recipients of your marvelous grace, uh, endued and emboldened by your love, Lord, just poured out upon. We're so grateful uh, that we've been saved by faith. Lord, you've given us the ability to become the sons, the daughters of God, by that glorious relationship we have with Jesus. That's not true for everyone, Lord, and that is your plan. You're not willing that any should perish. And so, Lord, as we ponder these things and we realize how far this world has fallen from that beautiful place that we can have with you, we pray that you would work amongst us, uh, give us renewed energy to go out and accomplish uh, your plans and purposes for our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. That as the age of grace draws to a close, things will get worse. They won't get better. One of the most common problems that we have in our world today is the basic humanistic assumption that mankind is inherently good and that mankind is actually getting better. Scripture declares the opposite is true. Mankind is not inherently good, and mankind is not getting better. We may be more technologically advanced. We may have better medical care. We may have the ability to feed more people. We may have all kinds of substantially good things in existence in our world, but the world is not a better place. The world, in fact, is a worse place. And it doesn't take a lot of viewing of the world to understand that very clearly. Do we have advancements? Of course. Could we solve many of the world's problems? Ultimately, the answer is yes. But the fact of the matter is, the selfish nature of mankind will always prevent those things from becoming an ultimate reality. The, the clock on man's time here on this earth has been winding down since Jesus left for heaven. And though we are far more advanced in many of the things that we can do, our knowledge has increased just as Scripture declares it would, we are still on our way out. We should never be so comfortable on this earth that we forget this is not our home. And this world belongs to, to the enemy of God. 
He is called the God of this age, the age that we live in. Though God is certainly sovereign, He has allowed Satan to have his way, and he has gotten very good at disguising himself as an angel of light. And so it goes on to say, For men will be, and you can just underline that. All you have to do is realize this list that follows is not an all-inclusive one. It's merely a descriptive one. It begins to lay out some of those things that would be true as the age of grace begins to wind down. As that time when God's dealing with mankind by His mercy, remember His mercy endures forever, praise God. His grace is a free gift, praise God. But He will not strive with mankind indefinitely. There's going to be an end to that time. And the Lord with the trumpet will bring the church home, and he is then going to come again and deal permanently with the issue of sin and the result that it brings, which is death. That's going to happen. We don't know when. Will it be today? As I shared with you, I pray not. Could it be tomorrow? It could be today. Is it sooner than it's ever been? That's what's being said here. And so now this list... For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now when I read that list, I'm going, that's our world. That largely is a definition of a vast majority of the population of the world. Now it seems kind of harsh, But it's also very true. And when you look at these things and you begin to break them down, and as I said, we will not take all of them individually, for to do so would lengthen the study to probably multiple weeks. But I think it bears repeating that these things are truths in our day and in our time. One thing's for sure. We cannot give up, and we must never surrender. We can't give in. We can't kowtow to the world's ways, and we cannot be engaged in the things that the world is engaged in. For to do so is to cause people to believe that God's standards have changed. God's standards have never changed. He does not adapt to the culture. The culture is supposed to adapt to Him. All of this higher criticism, this new moral relativism, the things that have swallowed up our world and consumed most of Christendom and a, almost every world religion is not of God. God. God hasn't all of a sudden gone back on His Word because, well, we figured out these things are just genetic. Everything's a disease. Mankind's had the same basic problems since day one, and I will show you that in a moment. There is, as Solomon said, nothing new under the sun. There are new ways to express those things, 
But the things that are being talked about here now are a very clear picture of what society actually is. Look at the list. When have children been more disobedient to parents than now? When, when have people in general been more lovers of money than now? When have people been more boastful or prideful about their existence on this earth than now? I, I say to you, these things are worse than they've ever been. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? That, that could be our national motto instead of in God we trust. We love pleasure. We love almost anything more than we love God. And we can see these things in our world. The focus on this third chapter will be knowledge and responsibility. And as the old axiom goes, with knowledge comes responsibility. When you know what to do, you're obligated to do it. You can't deny the truth as as we were sitting here and as I was listening and Andrew was sharing with you about his experience in college, you know, once you come to the knowledge of the truth, you have to do something with it. It commands that you deal with it. You can't just ignore it. And as James chapter 4 verse 17 says, And therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. And so we stand on the edge of the last days. And as I shared with you, Second Peter chapter 3 there in verse 3, God is not slack concerning his promises, that verse begins, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering, and he is not willing that any should perish. That's the reason that the age of grace has continued as long as it has. That's it. God didn't fall asleep. He, he didn't look at, well, I just can't keep them from killing each other. You know, I, I don't know, man, they're really smart, and their technology is just, wow, you know, I'm kind of a simple God, and I just work in these simple ways, and so I don't know what to do with these people, and they're, they're winning the battle. No, that's not God at all. God is long-suffering. He could stop everything. He, he could put a period right now in the age of grace and say, that's it. But because he loves people, and because we've been created in his image, he's allowed mankind to do as it pleases. He, he's allowed mankind an, a tremendous opportunity and really given mankind a gift. And that gift is called choice. He does not force us to love him, thereby negating our choice. He's allowed us to choose whatever we want to choose. And by choosing correctly, validating our love for him and for each other. It works the same in every human relationship. You cannot be forced to love someone. That's why when people come and they're seeking counsel for their marriage, I will often say you cannot force your spouse to love you. You cannot set up a system whereby they will automatically love you. They must choose to love you, or their love is not real. You can't just make things so substantially good. You can't make things so miserable that they want to choose something different. Love is a choice. God's given us that choice. But what He wants us to do with it is to choose Him. 
And so it says here that in the very last days, in other words, the last of the last days is the best way to see this, that as we look toward the end of the age of grace, things will get, with regard to these issues, worse. And I say to you, they are. That word that's translated perilous means dangerous. It means hard to deal with. It means savage. It means bitter. That those, those issues of man's heart and relationship, both with each other and with the world around them, will become much more perilous. There's never been a time when the world is so greatly in peril. I think sometimes I wake up in the morning and realize how close we are, potentially, virtually every day, to a a catastrophe of global proportion. You look at our financial situation here, especially in California. Just announced yesterday, our unemployment rate has risen. It hasn't gone down. That's true nationally. Our stock market has been a roller coaster ride for the last year. Really, for the last three, but the last year it's really been up and down. People are hoping, they're trusting in all of these world systems, and yet what it says in the very last days is that people are going to start caring about things that ultimately can't save them. They're going to care more about money than they will about God. No amount of money can save you. I was reading an article on the way down on the plane, and it was about these very wealthy men that had set up these factories in Brazil and, and, and how they were doing so great. I happen to know two of those companies. Two of the five of them, this was a relatively new article, two of the five of them have gone bankrupt. Since the article was written, they're gone. You see... Mankind has always had a problem with trusting in virtually everything but God. These characteristics are not just more visible. Can I say to you, sometimes people will say, well, no, it's just the information age. Can I say to you, no, it's not just the information age. These are more deeply ingrained ways of behavior and ways of life than they have ever been. I deal with kids every day. I can tell you their focus is way off. They're, they're a different animal than they were even ten years ago. And very much more different than when I was in their age group. I think back on what it meant to be a high schooler in the 60s and early 70s. And it's like the problems then were, you know, oh, well, we chewed gum. Now it's, are the kids packing heat? Did they get their human Pamplona virus shot as a 13-year-old girl? It's crazy. Things have gotten worse. They're not getting better. Do we know more about our world than we have ever known? Yes, because Scripture says, according to the prophet Daniel, that in the last days, knowledge will increase. Again, just adding to the picture of how true it is. It appears that things have become really deeper and, and in essence, more greatly intensified than they have ever been. 
In other words, these things are more of the norm than they used to be. And that is an absolute fact. These issues are more of the, of the norm. In fact, all society seems to be kind of on that rebellious edge. I, I, I was on a plane, and because I fly frequently and often, more so than I really want to, I kind of, you know, I actually run into the same flight crews every once in a while. And my brother Andrew can bear witness because he probably gets on the same plane very frequently and it's the same flight crew. And you, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at these people and I remember as, as a young person and flying and it was like a privilege and you got on and you were treated like almost like royalty. And if you had kids and they got the little wings because they were flying on a jet and you know, the whole thing and now they get on and, and the steward and stewardesses look at you like, who are you? And why are you bothering me with your problems? And, and they're just rude. They're mean-spirited and horrible at times. I'm going, I have to pay you to treat me bad. A lot of people are in that category. Have you ever noticed in our world how service is out the window anymore? Whereas you used to go someplace and people took it upon themselves because they took pride in the things that they were doing, that there was a sense that I wanted to do what I do well and I want to make sure that you're taken care of as a customer. Even that is a sign that we're in the last days because people care, notice, about themselves. I had, there was a stewardess on our flight down to Brazil. She made a point of standing up in the entire coach cabin and saying, I just want you to know this is my last flight. I've been with this stinking company for 40 years. That, those are her exact words. And after this flight, I'm done. I'm like, well, thanks for that. <laughs> Not sure what I'm supposed to do with it. Does that mean you're going to scald me with coffee or what? You know, I don't... Not quite sure how that works out. But the selfishness of, you know, yeah, well, I'm going to, you know, finally get what's mine. The world is like that. People have stopped caring about each other. And, of course, that isn't everybody. And I'm not trying to make an overgeneralization here. But simply saying, look at our world. Second Corinthians chapter 4 gives us a little insight. And you can mark it or turn there if you wish. The first... Uh, four verses there. And therefore, since we have this ministry, we've received mercy that we do not lose heart. Family of God, we can't lose heart. Even though these things are true, we can't lose heart. And verse 2 goes on to say there in Second Corinthians 4, that we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in the craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, we walk differently in the world. As the body of Christ, our lives should be different. That's why our passage this morning says, don't have anything to do with these things. Because they're not from God, they're from the world. Notice what it goes on to say in verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. That's why the world sees you and they don't know what to make of you. When I was nice to some of those ladies on the plane, I was sitting there talking to them, I actually had an empty seat. And had one of them sit down. We were just talking about what they were doing and where they were going, the problems going. She was stunned that somebody actually cared. So, well, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm on my way down to a pastor's conference, and oh, really? Well, you know, you know, Calvary Chapel. We got to sharing with those things. You, you see, as people begin to realize that we're different from the world, they're trying to figure out why we're different. 
It's a wonderful open door because you're not like the world. And you don't treat people like dirt. You, you, you don't look to just simply what you can get out of them, but what you can do for them, because that's what Jesus did. And so he goes on to say, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The gospel doesn't make a bit of sense to someone who doesn't know the Lord. They look at, are you crazy? You go to church how many times a week? I go on Christmas and Easter, and that's too many. You know, those, I don't even know why you do those things. You, you see, it's because the gospel hasn't sunk into their heart. They don't even understand it. Notice the reason, though, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Satan has blinded their eyes. They've bought into the whole prosperity thing. They've bought into the whole everybody should have a 7,000 square foot house thing. They've bought into everybody's going to have the very best medical care, no matter what it costs, even if it bankrupts the whole nation. You see, they've bought into the world system because the guy who controls this world is Satan. It's his system. Does that mean that everybody who does anything in this world is satanic? Of course not. But the system itself was designed by the enemy of God. And so the system, that's the world's governments largely to some degree, that's the individual business models, that's the world's economy, all of those things are stimulated not by God as a general rule, and again, not everyone in every case, but the system itself has been put forth by the enemy of God so that people will be blinded to the truth of God. So they become lovers of self. They become lovers of money. They're more concerned about loving almost anything than God because the world is very attractive. You can, get, you can go almost anywhere in a day. You can go anywhere in the world. Sometimes when I get on that plane in Dallas and I'm flying towards Sao Paulo and, you know, you wake up the following morning, you're six and a half thousand miles away from home. You're, you're, in a complete, you're on the other side of the equator. It's really, wow, you know, people are cool. Wow, we're awesome. I mean, I got in this plane with 400 other people and I'm, I'm down here now in a completely different culture. Well, it happened overnight. We're awesome. And then you realize you, 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 you drive five minutes out of the center of the city and there's 50 jillion people. I mean, literally about 5 million people out of 23 million people in Sao Paulo live in abject poverty. And then you drive downtown to what is essentially like the central park of Brazil and you look at the colonial houses not the same thing and not everybody has it because there are people taking advantage of other people and they don't care we need to make sure that we see the signs of the times notice the three component parts here and this is narcissism 101 is it not this is narcissism 101 is it not the Greek god Narcissus, staring in the pool, loved himself so much that eventually he died. I shared that on Wednesday night. He stayed there so long looking at his own room. Man, I am good looking. I'm awesome. 
I don't know who that guy is there, but I'm awesome. Three component parts. Lovers of their own self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That is narcissism 101. That's our world. It's exactly the tenets of success in this world. You've got to love yourself. Half the television shows on TV tell you to love yourself supremely. And if somebody gets in your way, they're a problem for you. Lovers of money. Number one tenet of success is love yourself and love money. And then for sure, you want to love pleasure because that's what you get with the money. Amen? And that God guy, he tries to keep you from pleasure. That's the enemy system. It's not very complex. Sometimes we get, you know, I think drawn away from the things of the Lord because we fail to see exactly how Satan's plan works in our world. In this universe that God created, there is God, and there are people, and there are things. That's it. Now, you can make it more complex than that, but at the end of the day, there's God who is eternal outside of time, there's people created in His image, and there's everything else. That's what His Word declares. And so if we are in God's world, we worship God, we love people, and we use things. But if it's mixed up, we worship things, we use people, and we hate God. That's the way it works. So you can tell by what's first, whether someone is actually walking with the Lord or not. Because when you start to use people, that's not God. When you start to worship things, that's not God. It's not that tough. It's the formula for a miserable life. One of the places that that comes and becomes so visible to me is, is in what is called loosely religion in our world. Specifically, the New Age, which, quite frankly, comprises almost every Eastern religion on this planet. Buddhism, Shintoism, Hinduism, all fit into the category, really, of New Age. You, you, you see, what ultimately happens is you start to worship the creation, the created things. And you yourself feel as though you're actually part of divinity in some way, shape, or form. That inside of every person is some divinity. No, inside of every person is mostly not things that you really want to see. The heart is deceitful, it's desperately wicked, and who can know it? And most people, if given the ability to, to seek after their own ways and desires are pretty much evil. Now we don't all exemplify those things at once. But the heart of man is wicked. That's why those slums exist in Brazil. That's why poverty exists in this country. That's why one country invades another country. That's why people shoot each other over gasoline. I read an article yesterday. A guy was filling up his gas cans at a, at a, in a... In a gas station, he had them full on the ground, and a guy shot him to take his gasoline. How evil do you have to be 
say to you, not actually all that evil. You just have to be part of what God describes as the, as the situation that humankind exists in. But we've seen the diminishing of the truth of God's word in what we accept in the church. And I'm talking about I'm talking about Christian yoga. I'm talking about the movies you watch. I'm talking about all those things that's just this little tiny influence of the world creeping into the church. When I think of how many people actually, quite frankly, in the church are really New Agers. Because they're they're believing all roads lead to God. All roads don't lead to God. The world's road does not lead to God. And everybody's not acceptable to God. Those that are found in Christ Jesus are acceptable to God. It kind of makes it tough sometimes. But it nonetheless is the truth. You know, I mean, everything. You look at like our movies that we Avatar and the whole Star Wars trilogy, all those things. They're all filled with New Age stuff. Absolutely filled with them. Sit there and Yoda talking there. You know, feel the force. That's nothing new. That's as old as it gets. It's been around for centuries. When you define these things, uh, it, it's very eclectic. It's very diverse. But the basic beliefs uh, of the God of this age is that everything's one. Why do you think the whole Disney circle of life thing floats so well? Because we're all connected. Yeah, we're all connected by sin and death. That's how we're connected. Not by goodness. We're connected by sin and death. The goodness that we share as the body of Christ, that does connect us, and it's a, it's a superior connection. But that's not everybody. But everybody is connected by sin and death. You, you see, as we look at these things, the, the basic tenets of that road, every road leading to heaven, is that there's a little bit of God in everybody, and we're all inherently good, and basically God is in all, and because God's in all, you're actually part God. It's not that tough. And so you know what happens? Pretty soon you believe that. And you know what you do? You start worshiping you. All of a sudden it makes all the sense in the world because I'm really good and I'm kind of divine, so I'll worship me. Because that which you worship is your God. Amen? So when you're sitting there reading your copy of this month's Self magazine, which by the way exists... Oh, yes, how to make me more happy. You ever notice that it's always at the expense of somebody else? That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus said. Matter of fact, he went on to say, do good to those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He said, not only don't be concerned about yourself, he said, be concerned about other people more. You see, so these things have a focus of you. And quite frankly, when you look at the basic tenets of what is loosely called the New Age movement, the, the things that are in it, God is one, there's God in everything, all kinds of gods exist, all those types of things, all those basic things were found in the garden. You remember what happened there in Genesis chapter 3? Remember what Satan's accusations were? You'll be like God. So New Age isn't new, is it? It says, you surely will not die. Well, that means you're eternal, right? Your eyes will be open. You'll have a change in consciousness. 
Did God really say? It's a definition of moral relativism right there. No, God doesn't mean that. You know, after all, it's all to be loosely interpreted. So when God says things, basically, Satan comes along and says, no, he doesn't mean that. Naturally, he accepts everyone exactly as they are. No, he doesn't. He has very high standards, and he's laid them out for us. And we need to recognize what they are. So when you're talking about this world, you can see how attractive it is. It's the same way that Satan messed with Adam and Eve. He's still doing the same things. He just does them differently. He puts a new spin on it. And all of a sudden you're sitting there going, well, that sounds right. You see these things that we're looking at here are clearly nothing new. That's, that's why when we look at, at what's going on in our world today, and we look at the radical homosexual movement, it ties right into this. Because you know what the arguments are? Well, we're just, you know, we're just like anybody else. Heard that one? We love too. We should be able to, you know, and people just eat that up. And again, I want to be very kind here. We cannot and must not hate anyone. But the fact of the matter is, moralistically and relatively, that sounds good. We're just more inclusive. And the more inclusive we are, we must be getting better. We'll just include everything. And if we include everything, then everybody will feel included. The problem is, is you're damning those people to hell. You're, you're lying to them to their face. You're causing them to believe that God's okay with something that God's not okay with. And so that issue in and of itself, the rise of it, when I look at that one thing and how it affects our society today, do you realize how divided we are over a segment of the population of this country that by the very best scientific studies is at the very most 3% of the population? More likely, it's less than 1%. And yet, does not every television show now have a token homosexual on it? I'm being truthful and honest with you. Can you not see that a vast majority of those programs, that's just being forced down your throat now? It, it, well, it's absolutely, you, you, you must not be loving. Because you don't accept us. Family of God, that is the world system. That is being lovers of pleasure and lovers of other things other than God. And the most loving thing you can do is say, you know what, because I love you, I can't accept that. No, no more than I would accept any other flavor of sin. I'm not going to let my friend be a drunk. I'm not going to let him be a drug dealer or a thief or perpetually bitter or any other thing that the Lord says is not the mark of someone who's his child. But, oh boy, does it sound good. Because then you let them love themselves. I can just be whatever I want to be. God says, I, as a child of God, I'm not entitled to do that. And I understand that type of mindset. But when you read Romans chapter 1 and you recognize what God's trying to say there, 
You can love the creation, you can love the things, or you can love God and who he loves, which is people. You can't have it both ways. There can only be one head. And so these things all flip the headship around. You know, no group of people has a, a lock on pain and hurt. And it doesn't matter what group of people you pick out. See, God wants us to, in, in essence, to, as we experience that pain, that hurt, those difficulties, it's supposed to cause us to turn to Him. It's supposed to cause us, man, there's no solution to this. And whether that's struggling with homosexuality or struggling with a broken home or whatever you're struggling with, the answer is Christ Jesus is Lord. It certainly isn't more you, because you you can never satisfy you. There's no alternative relationship. There's no amount of drugs or alcohol or money, whatever. There's no way to fix the problem apart from Christ. Well, you can deal with it. That's why people throw things like money into their lives in a great way, because they, they can just rest in that, trust in that. Family of God, we we need to get back to focusing in on what God cares about. And God's eternal. All of these things that are listed here in these lists, when you really look at them, it's almost staggering. And we could pick out any one of them and spend a whole Bible study on just one of those things. But I think it's very clear what God's getting at here. He wants alone to be worshipped as God. He made us. He's fabricated us. He shaped us, molded us. And you can't get satisfaction by any of these things listed here. When you look at the the totality of them, what will happen? You you become a truce breaker. You become a slanderer. You become an accuser. You become without self-control. You do your own thing and enjoy it. When you start looking at those things, those are recipes for disaster. But they don't seem like it at the time. Well, you know, my husband doesn't understand me. My wife doesn't understand me. But this other person does. So that must be God's will. It's just time to move on with my life. And you move on, and a few years later you wake up, and it's worse than it was before. Well, you know, I've just gone through so much, and, you know, now I just, you know, I just have to... Fix it by taking a few drinks when I get home. It never fixes the problem. Because the problem is the nature that we have from Adam. And that can only be fixed by trusting in Christ Jesus as Lord. You you see, what's said here is that lack of self-control shows up in virtually every area of our life when we're not walking with the Lord. Now, for you, it may be one thing. Another person, it could be completely different. But the lack of self-control almost always turns to control by self. And if all you've got to go on is you, you're going to run out of gas eventually. And you'll get to the end of that flesh, and it's just like, well, I don't know what to do now. That's why I've shared with you, there's no amount of money. I don't care if you're a billionaire. It's still not enough. It's not enough. 
I've met some of the most miserable billionaires. It's crazy how someone with that kind of money could still be miserable. But they're miserable without Jesus. I've met people who've had multiple. They're on their fourth or fifth or sixth or tenth husband or wife. They're still miserable. There was no satisfaction. I've met people who have abandoned their kids because they were too much of a financial burden. And they're still miserable. I've talked to people in about every circumstance of life that I think exists, quite frankly. Especially with regard to kids. There's no hope apart from Jesus. Oh, you'll get by for a while. But the answer is Christ Jesus is Lord. And so as these things begin to ramp up in the last days, they become more active. People are more traitorous. They're more high-minded, which, by the way, doesn't describe lofty thoughts. It means puffed up with your own importance. As people get that way, as it becomes worse and it becomes worse, the following day, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. As those things happen, it's time for the church to get busy. It just means the field is all that much more white for harvest. It, it means that people around you are going to have even fewer answers than they had before. That's the crazy thing about the gospel. I have bumped into people that have so much that know so little. They, they haven't got a clue. I talked to a guy, a Brazilian car dealer. He owns a dealership in South Florida, down in Miami-Dade County, a Mercedes dealership. He has another one in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He's losing them both. You know why? Multiple mistresses. He's got a wonderful wife, wonderful family, wonderful kids. They're actually involved in the business. The son actually runs the one in South Florida. They're losing everything. What was I going to tell him? Well, you know, it's just because you didn't do well with your financial plan. No, you tell him about Jesus. God can fix what you can't. You may have thought your little empire was going to see you through, but your little empire will not see you through. At the end of the day, we all have the same need. And I pray that as the last verse says here, having a form of godliness but denying its power. People have never been more religious than they are right now. Quite frankly, there are very few people that are atheists or agnostics on this earth. Very few. I run into, I actually ran into a, a, a lady. She was from Sweden that was at the conference. She was actually invited because she was a foreign exchange student, and she claimed to be an atheist. And I sat down. I, I was just like, Lord, I just wish I was fluent in her language, you know, to share with her. But as we started talking about some of the things through a translator, all the things that were keeping her from believing in God were all the things that are listed here. Loved money. Loved her mind. She thought she was too smart to be a Christian. I didn't say what I was thinking. 
I was thinking you really haven't thought it through because if you had, you'd find a reason, very big one to believe. Your faith is reasonable. There's There's nothing that holds you back except a love for yourself. And I pray and believe that for most of us, that is not the case. So for us, it's time for us to be very active in making sure that people have the answer. And that's where you guys come in. Because you're scattered out through this community and this county, through our world, to make sure that people don't fall prey to this world system, the one that's run by the enemy. Please take that as a charge. Because it's a joyous thing to see the light go on in people's lives. Man, I have been loving myself. And there is no satisfaction in it. And you offered them the truth of the God that created them for a purpose, by the way. And you remind them of His great love. You share those truths with them and the light goes on. That is an eternal thing that causes the angels in heaven, Scripture says, to throw a party. When one person comes to Christ, the angels are up there, party! (laughs) Another one coming home! We want to make the angels happy, amen? And the Lord happy. And in doing so, guess what happens? You get blessed. It's awesome. Let's do that. We are in the last days, and God has a plan for us, and I pray that we see all of it happen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful to be your children of grace. And Lord, as we think and ponder these, these truths, Lord, we recognize that so much of the world is just in love with themselves or money or, Lord, their own pride or, Lord, some of the things in their life that are unholy. And, Lord, so many struggle with unforgiveness. Lord, I struggled with unforgiveness for so many years. Without self-control, Lord, when we think of these things, it's as if we were describing our own community in a large degree. And Lord, because of grace and by faith, we have the answer to what ails the world. And so, Lord, we pray that it would be so real in us that it would become real to them. Lord, that the world, uh, through our lives, would get just a glimpse of the character and nature of the God that loves them. We pray that you'd work in us, Lord. We don't ever want to deny the power that's brought us into this right relationship. Lord, we recognize that we've been saved by grace. We thank you for the faith to believe. And we pray that as we live our lives, as we fellowship together, we become strong, Lord, in you. We pray that we become a mighty force for your kingdom. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We pray as we gather together this afternoon to partake of a wonderful meal and a fellowship, and to go down to our River Jordan to see people baptized, Lord. We pray that you'd meet us this afternoon, uh, build us as a, as a holy people. Lord, continue to strengthen us, to cleanse us, to make us shiny and white so that the world would see Jesus. We love you. We thank you for this time this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, family, we get the opportunity now to worship the Lord, which is a privilege. He actually delights to hear our praises, which is kind of crazy, but true nonetheless. Your love, oh Lord.